This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. And folks, we are celebrating. We are celebrating the 50th episode anniversary, folks. Cheers to that. I'm going to drink some tea. Mm-mm-mm. Some tea. <laughs> Yes, that's how we celebrate over here at the Gold Household, folks. So it's the uh, 50th episode, a few weeks away from my baby being born. It's so exciting over here at the Dustin Gold Standard. So, folks, a few weeks ago, I had a booker contact me. I mentioned it on the show before. And what the booker is, is someone who represents various personalities and books them to be on podcasts or be on the news like a public relations official, a public relations agent. And so this guy reached out to me. I'm not going to say his name, very polite and everything. And he said he had a gentleman in um, basically technology merging into live entertainment and would I be interested in having him on the show as a guest? And so my first thought was, why the hell, <laughs> why the hell is this booker reaching out to me? My second thought was that, okay, let me research this potential guest and see what this is all about. And to be honest, it piqued my interest because for those of you who listen to this show, you know I was involved with live entertainment. I produced corporate comedy. I used to manage and develop political impersonators, and we would produce live comedy shows for corporate functions. For instance, Microsoft's Christmas party or, let's say, LinkedIn's annual sales conference. We've worked for political events, fundraisers, trade associations like International Plumbers Association. So we've done shows for a wide range of clients. And I remember... When I first got into the business in, I believe, 2009, I met a guy, I believe his name was Dick Smith, and he was the head of the International Speakers Association, which represented people who made a living speaking at corporate functions and and such. And he told me, man, you've got spunk, you're such a hard worker, you're so creative, if you were in this business pre-9-11, you would have made millions. (laughs) And so, 
I had a long conversation with him and he ended up telling me that I ought to look at going in another direction because corporate entertainment was going to be dead within several years. At this time, that was in 2009. So that's what, um, 13 years ago. And so I said, why is that? And he said, well, people your age, and I'm 41 now, so what, I was 28 then? He said, uh, people your age that are moving up over the next five to 10 years into middle management don't want to go to corporate functions anymore. It's becoming more and more difficult to bribe sales guys to be in the top 10%, and then they're going to get a junket out to Las Vegas, where basically we're going to hammer them with more sales training, but we're going to mix in some live comedy, live music shows. We are going to give them money to play, you know, poker and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff at the craps table. And they just don't care. They would rather just do their sales meetings on zoom or on Skype. It was back then, or, um, go to meeting was popular. And so he said, the industry is going to be dead. Now, fast forward to 2020, I was still somewhat in the business, but I had started to remove myself from producing, the large shows. So I used to have a show which was Barack Obama versus Mitt Romney, hosted by Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. And I had another show which was um, Barack Obama versus Sarah Palin with Bill Clinton hosting. So we could market to companies that it was, at the time, we were promoting it as right, left, and center. So Palin being the right, Obama being the left, and we had Bill Clinton as the center. And so that way, companies wouldn't be afraid to bring uh, political content to their event. And then what we would do is we would customize these shows depending on the package that the customer bought. So, for instance, if it was a LinkedIn annual sales conference and we were doing a 30-minute debate show, they might want the show completely customized. And so we'd custom write an entire show for them. There were other cases where it might be a political fundraiser and they would tell us, hey, sway it to the left or sway it to the right. We want Palin to look stupid. We want Obama to look smart or whatever. So we'd sway them within reason because if you swayed it too much one way or the other, you could end up throwing off the comedy and it just didn't make sense. We really like to try to write from the middle and make fun of everything. That was really just uh, what worked best for us and what made us unique because most of the other competitors we had always slanted to the left. So anyway, I was involved with that business. So I started looking at this gentleman's work, the company that he wanted to come on and talk about. And I was actually quite fascinated with it. I went and listened to a podcast that he was on, uh, more of like a tech, a pro tech kind of tech geek podcast. And he said a few things that I liked. Um, about where his technology was going, what he believes the purpose of his technology is, and also where he sees the metaverse and other places in the future. So I said to myself, can I do this interview without 
clobbering this guy because I don't want to bring someone on, especially who reached out to me, gave me a chance to interview them. And they're not looking for a debate. They want to talk about their product, but do it in a way that you, my audience, will learn something from this. And it's not me shilling the software because, as you know, I lean on the side of no tech. And so it's very difficult. But at the same time, I told you we've been trying to reach out to other guests in our space, you know, Whitney Webb, Johnny Vedmore, Patrick Wood. And others, I'm having an email communication right now with Joe Allen, who is a regular on Steve Bannon's show, who's been writing about transhumanism for the last year. So we'll see if I can get him on. But some of these other ones, they don't want to, um, I mean, it's not like they said they won't come on. They just really don't bite at the opportunity, which is strange because a lot of them are selling books and such. You figured they'd want to go on this show. I read all the comments that you guys send me over at pain.tv slash gold and the reviews that you've left at Apple Podcasts, thank you very much. And the comments that you leave me are fantastic. And you keep telling people this is like a college course, a master class in technocratic transhumanism and the prison planet matrix. And I appreciate that. So you think those people would want to come on, but whatever. So I said to myself, you know what? We can explore uh, this gentleman's technology and do it in a way that we are learning from someone who is an entrepreneur in that space, but not at the level of, say, an Elon Musk or a Peter Thiel. So we're going to get into that interview that I just finished a few minutes ago. And I think it's actually quite fascinating. Uh, you get to hear from someone who grew out of the love of live entertainment. He was a producer uh, on Broadway and um, off Broadway. And he worked for Disney DreamWorks. And so we get into a discussion about where he sees technology fitting into live entertainment and specifically on the current company that he is the CEO of, which I will talk about briefly before we get into the interview. So what I decided is that today I am not going to talk about, um, I'm not going to pick back up with the World Economic Forum discussion that we started reviewing yesterday i'll pick that back up tomorrow and then we'll finish the military.com um left the boom podcast with doctors peter emmanuel and diane Duulius because i don't really want to mix apples and oranges here so what i'm going to do is i'm going to talk a little bit about some of the technology as it relates right now to live entertainment and then i'm going to give you some background on this gentleman who came on as a guest and then give you some of my opinions on where I see this fitting in. Do I see it as a net positive or net negative? And then we will play the interview. And so let's pull this up because we've talked about it in the past and there just happens to be some new news about it. And I bring it up with the guest as well. And he gives his opinion on this, which I found him to be very, um, pretty honest and, and open about his view of technology overall, where he's planning on going with his companies, which we'll get into momentarily. But let's look at this is at theverge.com. And this says right here, the concert of the future is already happening in the metaverse. Nobody knows quite what 
live digital music looks like, but almost everyone seems to agree it's going to be big. And this is an article by David Pierce, written on October 3rd. And so we've talked about the metaverse in depth over here. We've reviewed World Economic Forum uh, conference discussions on the metaverse. I taught you about how the technology works, sort of what it is, at least in this iteration, where it's going, what the dream is, where they'd like to take it, what it's all about, folks, right? So luckily, uh, our guest does not really see the future, at least the immediate future, uh, being people jumping into the metaverse. And he'll explain that in the interview, so I don't want to go jump the gun. But I was happy to hear his thoughts on that, especially someone who came from the live entertainment world uh, from production and has gravitated now towards technology and um, what he's doing with it, I find to be you know somewhat unique and interesting. He knows that it has the danger of becoming gimmicky and just being thrown, you know, by, onto the floor and just left behind. And that's not what he's trying to do. And so he's trying to use technology to keep people engaged in the live stuff that is going on. In the end, you make your own decision. Um, I, I'm not going to really say whether it's good or it's bad, but I will give you some of my opinions on it. Let's just read this article a little bit here. It says, a few weeks ago, I went to a Charlie Puth concert from my computer. The concert was in Fortnite in the new State Farm Park Arena in the iHeartland area of the Games Island. So you're going inside of the Fortnite metaverse. We've talked about that a little bit. To the State Farm Park Arena state farm so (laughs) i know so you already have the branded arenas inside of the metaverse it's no different than out here just full of advertisements in the iheartland area of the games island so you got iheart like iheart radio right their island and then you're going into the state farm park arena unbelievable you figure if you can go into the metaverse maybe you could escape all the shameless uh, advertising that goes on goes on to say for a half hour or so i watched and listened to pooth play the hits as i also flew and parkoured around the island playing the iheartland mini games this is the concert or at least a concert of the future more interactive more immersive and taking place in purely digital spaces. For artists of all genres and statures, quote, what's up, Roblox, end quote, is the new, quote, what's up, Cleveland, end quote. And so we get into a bit of this in the interview, folks, and he addresses whether or not he sees the future being more interactive and more immersive, but taking place in real life in the natural world while utilizing the smartphone, utilizing the technology as a tool, not to have the technology overtake the live entertainment space, not to replace the actors. He was shaking his head back and forth when I brought up deep fix and everything else. So he didn't seem to be... Um, on board with the idea of replacing the natural world with technology. So when I get back, we're going to finish up this article, and then I'm going to review his company a little bit. I want to give you a little background 
I specifically didn't, you know, dig into the minutia while I was on the interview with him because we had limited time. And so I wanted to get to some of my key points and talk about, you know, the metaverse and talk about the technology itself so that you could have an understanding uh, from the perspective of someone who is working in this industry now, but building their own project, not working for Elon Musk or Peter Thiel or any of the rest of them. All right, folks, this is Dustin Gold. This is the 50th anniversary episode, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, and I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks. We're just talking a little bit about the metaverse as I warm you up for our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. This article goes on to say digital concerts are nothing new, of course, but starting with Travis Scott's Fortnite show in 2020, the music industry has taken new notice of platforms like Fortnite, Roblox, and Minecraft. While we continue to debate what quote, the metaverse, end quote, even is, and how much time we all want to spend there. It's been clear for a while that there's something that works about concerts where thousands or millions of people can get together and see a show from around the globe. It's certainly better than getting sniped from a tree by a 12-year-old Goku, which is the other way I've recently been spending time in Fortnite. And so the article goes on to talk about the future of concerts inside of the metaverse. So I got into this with our with our guest, and they see that possibly there will be people, especially as he addresses younger generations that are now brought up on technology, uh, no fault of his, um, but he said that, as an entrepreneur, he now needs to try to serve the new client base if he wants to stay you know, in the industry and be able to create entertainment. So let me show you what he is working on. Uh, up on the screen, I have, it's a website, gameiotics.com, and it's G-A-M-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com powering the new era in interactive entertainment. So this gentleman currently is the CEO of two separate companies. One is Gameionics, which is a software company. We'll get into that in a second. And then the second company is 20-Sided Tavern, okay? And so 20-Sided Tavern, let me go over to the main website. And that is the20sidedtavern.com. And that is his production company right now. So the production company is putting on events. uh, Basically, think of it in simple terms for you out there like theater. That combine with the technology Gameionics. And Gameionics is basically gamifying 
Um, and we've talked about that here on this show. It's gamifying live entertainment. And in short, without spoiling what we're going to discuss, essentially what they're doing is they're creating a platform that will eventually be turned into a SaaS company. For those of you that don't know, SaaS software as a service. All right. And so here, I just brought up Wikipedia for you in case you don't know what this is. It's a good teaching moment. Software as a service is a software licensing and delivery model in which software is licensed on a subscription basis and is centrally hosted. SaaS is also known as on-demand software and web-based web-hosted software. So, for instance, if you guys are entrepreneurs, if you operate a small business, you know, you are interacting with uh, and utilizing third-party products that maybe help you build your website or help you run your point of sales inside of a brick-and-mortar store or help you build out your e-commerce. So what companies are doing now is they develop pieces of software that fulfill a need for say a small business, medium-sized business, doesn't matter, in which you as the small business owner doesn't have to go out and spend $150,000 hiring a programmer to develop you a point of sale system uh, to run your, I don't know, your brick and mortar baby store, you know, that sells, uh, you know, baby clothing and and uh, cr- uh, cribs and such. Okay, so that's software as a service. So this gentleman sees this company, Gameonomics, turning into a software as a service company that he's hoping to uh, launch that part of the company next year. And so they've been doing a lot of testing. But basically what they're doing, and I'll just read from the website. It says, if you have an audience, we have a solution. Built by creators for creators, Gameonomics is the only software solution for the live entertainment market that connects the audience and content with zero hassle. It is web-based, there's nothing for your audience to download, and it's accessible instantly from the phone in their pocket. So we'll get into this in the interview, but what he discusses is that he did not want to build an app because he finds uh, through research that if you, let's say you go to see a Broadway show, or a concert, or a comedy show, or anything like that, and let's say you're running late to get into the show, and they tell you you have to download an app, okay, so you're generally not going to download the app, it's a major hassle, as he said, a lot of people are shying away from apps now because of uh, data issues, you know, your data being stolen, your identity being stolen, so he said a lot of people aren't going that direction, so what they developed is a system where you run into the theater and you scan the QR code that we're seeing everywhere now, you know I, I find that to be highly dangerous, but that's my opinion, you scan the QR code and then this website pops up, and this is now the platform, the portal to interact with what's up on the stage. So he'll get into it, but basically think of it as like a mystery theater kind of thing on steroids. Uh, he looks at it as sort of a live Dungeons and Dragons. So the actors up on the stage are actually changing sort of the trajectory of the show based on certain moments in the show where the audience interacts off of this website 
website and then the actors may change the script they go in a different direction it's uh i look at it like a choose your own adventure type of book happening live on the stage so i just want to go through his website a little bit i had reviewed this before the interview but we didn't go into depth on this because I wanted to get to the meat of what he was doing and have him explain it in his own words. But uh, they have up here audience engagement, branching narratives, role-playing games, trivia quiz shows, escape rooms, murder mysteries. Okay, and it says, gamify your audience experience. Gameiotics includes dozens of features that expand connectivity and focus your audience on the experience. Whether you're in education, theater, sports marketing, live events, museums, or amusement parks, Gameiotics has a solution to keep your audience engaged and entertained. So we went into this a little bit and we talked about uh, museums. We talked about, you know, amusement parks, uh, specifically Universal Studios, Harry Potter. And with the museums, I, I found it to be kind of fascinating. If you know when you go to a museum or you go on a tour of an old, you know, historic building or house, for instance, my wife and I over Christmas, um, we were going to be basically on the road. So we stopped at the Biltmore in Asheville, um, North Carolina. Uh, to see the Christmas trees. But basically, you know how you'll go through the tour and you rent one of those push boxes and basically you just click, okay, I'm over here at one and it goes, you are in the room of so-and-so where this happened in 1713. Okay, please progress to area two. Well, part of what Gameiotics is doing is making it more interactive, more engaging. So you could say, uh, it may say to you, do you want to learn about this or do you want to learn about this? You might press A and and then that takes you to a different part of the room. And then you go over here and, it, it, you know, and then you could run the whole thing again and have a completely different experience. So they are trying to engage um, the new generation of folks hooked on computers and on video games and such, but get them engaged with what's going on live instead of just being stuck inside of a completely cyber metaverse. But as you'll hear him kind of allude to, I don't know, that possibly this early iteration could just be developing this sort of choose-your-own-adventure that can then maybe be used inside of, you know, the metaverse. He didn't say that, but I kind of got the feeling. All right, it goes on to say accessibility. The best direct-to-device solution in the market today, Gameionics delivers closed captioning directly to the live audience member's own phone. Gameionics is both feasible, financially, and easy to use. Now, that feature, considering that technology is here, and part of what we talk about in this show is how to avoid it, Okay, if you don't want to be involved with this, you just don't use it if you see it. Now you're aware of it. But that thing I found to be useful so if you brought your deaf grandma uh, to a Broadway show or you brought your grandma who was visiting from another country and she doesn't speak English, there's live closed captioning on your phone so she could actually you know, read the words in the language that she speaks. I found that to be uh, pretty interesting. I know there would be some people you know, interested in that. Uh, and since it's not an app, it's not really collecting data on you. And so this is really what he's focusing on with Gameiotics. Now, I've talked a little bit 
about gamification uh, here on this show, especially in relation to the gig industry and how they are gamifying these apps from the service provider, the contractor, the independent uh, contractor side. So what Instacart will do, for instance, the grocery shopping app, is they'll run promos and say, if you complete six orders today, you're going to get a bonus, and the bonus will do this, and then you're going to get tokens, and then the tokens will elevate your status, and if you elevate your status, you're going to get a baseball cap with the Instacart logo. Stuff like that. So they gamify things. Uh, I got uh, Wikipedia open here. Just so you know, gamification is the strategic attempt to enhance system services organizations and activities by creating similar experiences to those experienced when playing games in order to motivate and engage users. This is generally accomplished through the application of game design elements and game principles, dynamics and mechanics um, in non-game context. So what he's trying to attempt to do, what the guest is trying to attempt to do, is to gamify live entertainment and bring the audience into in a more engaged situation. So sitting there and watching the theater production now is not enough. This system will allow them to engage and actually kind of shape the show and the flow and where it goes in real time. It's quite interesting. I'll give you my thoughts on it when we get back from this short break. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold right here on the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, one more thing, and then I'll give you some thoughts on this, and it was a new experience for me, honestly. I mean, I just spent the last 49 episodes tearing apart the technocracy and transhumanism, so it was kind of a little break from that, but let me just say that... um, You know, if we want to learn more about this world of tech, what's coming, we need to start speaking to uh, people in the industry. Overall, overall, I, I kind of find, at least if this stays in its current form, to be fairly, uh, I don't know if I would say harmless, but I can see where this gentleman is coming from uh, as being someone who came out of live entertainment production, that if you don't embrace some of the tech, then you're going to be pushed out of business. And so, look, I'm sitting here in front of a microphone, in front of a camera with software and everything that runs this show, the ability to produce this show. But don't worry, folks, because tomorrow we get back to transhumanism. We get back to the technocracy. But I I think this was a good break, to be honest. It helped me sort of uh, expand 
my mindset. I've just been kind of trapped in this little box for the last couple of months uh, talking to myself. Uh, we've had Maria Albanese on, I've had Halsey English on, and we've had Legal Man on. But I want to start getting more guests because this is how we're going to learn more about what's happening out there in the world. And so in the industry of live entertainment, we now have someone who is on the cutting edge of technology and how technology is going to affect live entertainment we'll see where his company goes with this uh we'll see how it takes off i'll follow it over the next couple of years and see what goes on with it but uh, as an alternative to the metaverse i would say yes uh overall i'd have to experience one of these shows in real life to really understand what this is all about but um here's an article i have over at martech series M-A-R-T-E-C-H series.com. And the title is Gameionics Partners with the Vocal Group to Promote Gamification Technology in the Ever-Evolving Events and Entertainment Industry. So this is talking about uh, his company here. And this article is about a year old. But it says, Gameionics, the emerging leader in audience engagement through web-based gamification, is partnering with Dallas-based The Vocal Group to deliver its turnkey technology and messaging to target markets and industry verticals, including entertainment, live and virtual events, sports, and education. We are keenly aware that there is a growing need for brands to reinforce community engagement, immersion, and interactivity through one of the most powerful tools in any customer's hand, their smartphone. And so we get into this, and he looks at the smartphone as a tool, not uh, necessarily a way of life. Like, you don't want to necessarily live inside your phone. Uh, It goes on to say the software we have developed is a way to create two-way conversations that can create opportunities that immediately impact the bottom line through upselling promotion, data capture, and choice-based enhancements. And so when he's talking about data capture there, uh, you know, it it depends on how this all works. And we didn't get into the nitty gritty of that. When you're scanning the QR code, is it recognizing you or is this just about interacting with that production on that one given day? And then basically that data is wiped clean. Um, It goes on to say, quote, our partnership with the vocal group will grant us the room to amplify our efforts to usher in the new era of interactive entertainment for our customers, end quote. And so there's other people I'm aware of in the um, live entertainment space who have talked about bringing more technology to the stage, specifically Broadway, which is always about 10 years behind on technology, believe it or not. And uh, as as our guest has said, no one really grabbed a hold of it, so he's running with it. Let me just read a little more from here. It says, quote, through decades of experience in entertainment marketing, public relations and promotion, we have developed a unique perspective on how the spirit of show business that connects audiences can directly translate to the mainstream marketplace through gamification, end quote. Gamification has become one of the hottest topics of interest for many marketing and media professionals because of the simple reason that it is considered one of the most effective ways to promote various services and products for many brands and other companies. 
And so this is a quote here from our guest. It said, Gameonomics has a proven model on how we can attract new customers and audiences as well as make the current customers' audiences more loyal by making them engaged in an enjoyable manner. The pandemic forced our hand into a format that could translate both virtually and in person. Our proof of concept was developed with Seize the Show, a product of Gameonomics Studios where audience behavior drove the story and consequences of each show the mission of the company is quote authenticity of experience through agency end quote the more truthful the audience feels their interactions are the more engaged they are with the message once we had customer buy-in we knew that we could license the software to help brands drive revenue through word of mouth and social media so we're going to get into this folks let me just show you uh, this is his other company here, which is 20-Sided Tavern, uh, Dungeons and Dragons-like uh, stage show that lets the audience control the adventure is about to make its UK premiere and organizers say its tech could change live esports events. And so 20-Sided Tavern is his entertainment company. And so they're actually now, I think they have a show coming up running in the fall out of uh, in Chicago. We'll talk about that a little bit in the interview. And so basically what's happening, and, and let me read from this because I think it'll clarify some things. We really get into it in the interview, but I want you to have an understanding of this before you hear him speak. It says, 20-Sided Tavern, a live theater stage show inspired by the tabletop game of Dungeons & Dragons, is about to make its UK premiere and believes its technology could change how we watch live esports events. The 70-minute show will be coming to the e Edinburgh Festival Fringe, the world's largest arts festival, which is returning for the first time since 2019 through the month of August. It says it's for viewers aged eight years old and above and is targeting hardcore fans of Dungeons and Dragons to those just dipping their toes into the world of role playing games. It's had sellout shows in New York, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, and now 20-Sided Tavern will be performed in the UK at the Pleasance Dome Venue 23, blah, blah, blah. The show lets the audience control the adventure. This is, this is the part where the technology comes in. The show lets the audience control the adventure by interacting on their phones. This can involve anything from the roll of a dice to an audience vote on complex storylines that develop as the show goes along to simply voting for an actor to do something specific. And he will go on to explain that in detail in the interview. There are also ways for the audience to battle in teams and each result impacts the developing storyline. Gameotics web-based design means audiences access a website on their phone via a QR code on entering the venue with no app download required. It says organizers say that with so many branching paths and potential outcomes, audiences can create one of literally thousands of scenarios. So it's like a one-of-a-kind. Uh, the entertainment is created live on stage for you. It says, because everything is changing in real time, the plot has to be improvised as the actors go along, responding to the directions the audience give the performers. And then the performers can put new options into the system at any point. So, for example, if the performer comes across a basket that contains an apple and a brick, the audience might be able to vote for him to eat the apple. But they might also be able to vote for him to eat 
or at least try to eat the brick, and the actor would need to play out that scenario. Some of this sounds fun, and fortunately involves tech, and I'm against it. The production is only being shown at the Edinburgh Festival for now, but there are discussions ongoing about possibly playing London shows. Um, as far as the story, here's the blurb. When called upon to defeat the monster that is inhabiting Cold Fire Caverns, little is known about the beast other than its insatiable appetite. As they explore the caverns, the audience chosen party will uncover clues and unlock items to best prepare them for the climactic confrontation. But what deadly secrets in the depths of this ever-changing labyrinth? The cryptid will be created by the audience, and the only way to find out is to be there, right? So that's how they're they're marketing this. And so th- this article goes on to discuss other opportunities they see involved with this. I, I mean, again, folks, this is, it was interesting because you're talking to someone sort of on the cutting edge of technology, but... It's not involved with embedding a brain chip into the back of your skull or genetically modifying your DNA or, you know, putting a smart piece of tech inside your child's bedroom or growing babies in synthetic wombs (laughs) or strapping on an AR or VR headset and living inside the metaverse. All right, so this is going to be our guest, folks, David Carpenter. He's the CEO of Gameotics, as I said, in 20-Sided Tavern. He has 20-plus years in media and entertainment. He is an experienced off-Broadway and Broadway producer. We talk a little bit about that. He is now involved with multi-platform content development, production, sales, and marketing. He was executive producer of the 2019 Broadway run of critically acclaimed Slava's Snow Show. Helmed off Broadway hit comedy Puffs, which ran in New York City for three years. Executive producer of Puffs, filmed live off Broadway, released nationally through Fathom Events. He's producer of Puffs in Australia for two years in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Publisher of the Puffs script and upcoming companion book. And he's former DreamWorks theatricals executive overseeing Shrek, the musical sales operations. And so uh, I talked to him a little bit about that because I had a friend of mine who was a makeup artist on Shrek, the musical. So um, I think as we get into this, folks, you will see... I'm very polite. I'm not looking to turn this into some kind of a debate show. I've mentioned to you that before. Uh, I have other guests um, that are personally connected to me. I've mentioned uh, before um, a geneticist, another gentleman who came out of engineering who is against technology and others. So they are interested in coming on the show. Now, I am not going to agree with everything they say, but the way that I am handling the guest situation as far as right now is that I will ask my questions and I will let the guests speak and I will leave it up to you, the audience, to make decisions for yourself. Think of this as gameotics. Unfortunately, you can't throw in questions yourself in the middle of the interview, but uh, hopefully we get to most of those, and then we can talk about it later on a separate episode from this one. But uh, I think if you want to have an understanding of where technology is in various sectors, 
outside of the stuff that I'm teaching you, then we have to start talking to people that are working on the technology and asking them where they see it going. And you will see from this guest, David Carpenter, that he just does not see a future with VR headsets taking over live entertainment or deep fake videos replacing actors or deep fake audio replacing book narrators he still sees that those actors those entertainers those performers will be in place but there is going to need to be some sort of merger with technology technology being used for audience engagement or we will run the risk of losing the next generation of audiences and so maybe one day i'll be doing this show and you'll be able to click on buttons inside of your phone running on a platform by gameionics and you'll be able to change the course of this show i'll say look folks i'm holding up a pen do you want me to swallow the pen or jam the pen in my eye and you'll be able to vote on that and if i jam it in my eye then you'll be able to say oh okay dustin jammed the pen in his eye now do you want to see him upload his consciousness to the cloud or do you want to see him chug a bottle of gasoline and light himself on fire i don't know some of you would probably enjoy that all right folks we're going to take a quick break i'm going to change into my tuxedo because we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of this show the 50th episode anniversary plus we're going to be talking to a broadway producer folks so i'm going to put on my tuxedo and we're going to take a long walk down broadway ladies and gentlemen a visit with david carpenter to talk about the future of live entertainment and how it will or will not merge with technology. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. Enjoy the interview, folks. You're listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.tv slash gold. And folks, I already introduced our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 50th episode, so tonight we're going to celebrate by taking a little walk down broadway ladies and gentlemen here is my guest david carpenter he is uh, 20 plus years in media and entertainment he's an experienced off-broadway and broadway producer multi-platform content development production sales marketing you name it david fill in the blanks for us before we get into this in-depth discussion into technology entering into the live entertainment space so tell us a little bit about yourself Sure. So, uh, thank you for the intro. Congratulations on your 50th uh, show. That's uh, really exciting. Thank you. Um, thank you. And thank you for having me on. So, uh, I have worked in uh, entertainment uh, in Broadway and off Broadway for uh, 22 years now. Um, I got my start working as an assistant uh, for a company called the Dodgers, which is not the baseball team, but the Broadway producing company that, that produced uh, Jersey Boys. 
Um, and, and then I worked my way up through sales and marketing for many years. Uh, I worked at DreamWorks at one point. I was part of the team that opened Shrek the Musical on Broadway, uh, which was a really exciting job because I got to directly interface with uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, during those times and, uh, and Bill Damaschke, uh, who, were, who were amazing bosses to work for. And then I worked for another producer, uh, Broadway producer, and learned a lot about the finance and production side of the business before starting my own firm, which I had for about five years. Uh, it was a company called Tilted Windmills, um, where I was uh, with, a, with a former business partner of mine, and we were running that. And then that ended uh, in uh, at the end of 19, and I kind of struck off. Uh, I had already in January 20 decided to go on a new course, which was to not do Broadway anymore and start <laughs> moving into software technology and um, experiential entertainment. Uh, and that's um, And that's where I am now. That's interesting. I mean, the, the audience knows a little bit about my background, but I had a live entertainment company and we used to manage and develop political impersonators for corporate events. And then they appeared on everything from, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel to the rest of the late night shows. And so I actually had a makeup artist that did some Mitt Romney makeup for us named Adam Bailey, who was one of the guys who used to glue the Shrek uh, head on the uh, the oh, cowl yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was well, interesting. They, they, they were on Broadway. He was in makeup for two hours before every show. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it was such an extensive. It was such an extensive costume. And then I think it took him an hour to get out of it. Might have even been three hours. It's been it's a little hazy. It's been a while. But yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a lot. Yeah. But he looked like Shrek on stage. No question about that. <laughs> yeah, I had another actor who worked for me, and he would portray Barack Obama, and he started his career uh, as a real actor. The Obama was kind of a side gig uh, for quick money at corporate events, but he was uh, the genie in um, Aladdin the play out at Walt Disney Land uh, out oh, in yeah. uh, California. In so. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he used to have to put on a big cowl piece as well, so... So anyway, um, I want to get into this with you. So that that's your background. Now, what you're working on uh, today, and there's a lot to talk about, and then basically what I want to do is kind of run you through sort of a choose-your-own-adventure so that people could understand the technology that you're working on. But the name of your company is Gameonic. So right now, do you see yourself as a producer, as a technologist, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO? How do you define yourself? Always an entrepreneur, uh, no question about that. Like that's top of the list. Um, second is I'm the CEO of two different companies right now. They're both they're related to each other, but they're separate organizations uh, in their own right. One of which is Gameotics, which is a software company, which is a B2B business. And the other one is, uh, is a company uh, who, for lack of a better term, the Nandagora is um, a 20-sided tavern, which is an ex experiential entertainment company that is using Gameotics to build content, and that's a B2C company because it sells tickets to consumers. And um, they, it wasn't ever planned out this way in any way, shape, or form. I did not I did not have any intention of, of, of it happening right this way, but it is what happened. <laughs> like, like, like all things, like all good things, it just kind of fell into it um, uh, over the last year. Um, I, with Gameotics, um, I had basically was looking for a way to deliver uh, branching narrative style experiences for in the live entertainment industry. And, and basically what I mean by that is like when I, what, what, the reason why I started the technology company was because I was, I was looking for a mechanism that allowed for the audience to be able to collectively choose in an, in an environment, like in, a, in an environment, what happens next? Like simple as that. And at the time, and there still is this day, 
the only thing that was available to be able to do that was basically off-the-shelf educational polling software. And, and that was fine, but there's so much more to an entertainment experience um, uh, that I wanted as a consumer. And that's why I built Gameiotics. I wanted to build software to do more than just polling, do a lot more things, but I wanted to gamify the audience experience. And so that's where Gameiotics was born. All right, yeah. So, so let me ask you uh, two parts. What came first, Gameiotics or Twenty uh, uh, Sided Tavern? And then the other part is just as you were talking about there, and I mentioned the genie uh, a few minutes ago. You had told a story on another podcast about a show that you saw when you were with uh, um, Twisted Windmills that had a genie in the show and there was a guy going on these dates and then the audience was able to interact so let's kind of start there because it sort of seemed like that was kind of the beginning the revelation for you where you wanted to go down this path professionally yes so basically what happened was that i was i had found the show um uh which i won't name because it's it's long in the past now but that was (laughs) going back in 2016 and again i'll explain why in a second and the show was using educational polling software, and basically it was, like as you described, it was, a, it was a rom-com. It was about a guy going on a date with a, who wanted to go on a date with a girl, and he finds this magic item, and this, and this genie pops out of the item and says, I'm going to help you with, with the date, right? And that was, that was the gimmick. And so the audience, when they walked into the theater, were handed um, a, a radio frequency remotes, four-button, like, ABCD push remotes, right? And they were handed these remotes when they came into the theater, and so, and, and the way the, the show was constructed was that the audience would be making polling choices, right? A, B, A, B, C choices throughout the course of the show that affected how this guy's date went and what he did and what he wore and where they went, even down to which girl he went on a date with. And and, and then there was an internal math system that if the audience voted 100% positive for the guy, then at the end of the show, um, uh, he would sleep with the girl. And then if they voted 100% negative for the guy, at the end of the show, he'd throw himself off a bridge and then like 10 iterations in between about the types of different endings, right? Um, and I was really struck because it was the first time I'd ever seen someone execute this reasonably successfully live on stage. And this concept of agent experience where the audience is as a, as a whole audience is all making choices, but not just one choice. They're making a lot of choices that are affecting which of the en- which way the ending of the show is going to go. The audience had a great time; they had a really good time. And I opted in the show, um, and I held that option for about a year. Um, it, but the, there were kind of two major problems that happened that was that were that were going on. Is that one is is that that wasn't a scalable idea. And when you, of course, when we look in when we look at business, you know, when we look for opportunities, we look for things that we can scale, things that we can grow, right? Build value in them. And you can't hand an audience a remote when they walk, like, like, there's just no way to be able to scale that to the size you needed to. Um, and also the software was kind of, you know, like the software wasn't built to do the thing that I was doing. It was kind of jerry-rigged together. The second thing is that the show itself, very unfortunately, was um, not very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's it, a problem. It had a lot of problems. I mean, like from a like from a very kind of basic level, and certainly you could never do this in 2022, but you couldn't do it in 2015 either, but you had this concept of a show where the audience is choosing which woman the guy goes on a date with, and the reward at the end of the show is that he has sex with her. It's like, well, that doesn't work. Right? Like, that just doesn't fly. So I actually, so when I started working on the show and, and then and kind of really got into fits of cuff with the author over saying, hey, you know, you, you can't do it this way. You need to find some other ways to do this thing. 
And we were arguing for a long time over notes on the show. Um, but while I was doing that, I, I, I was trying to solve the other problem. And I very fortunately got hooked up with this, um, uh, this technologist in California, a guy named Dave Keen. And Dave, at one point in his life, was the senior architect of the PlayStation Gaming Network and worked mm. for Sony. And, you know, was a big gamer. I was working in gaming, but was a theater lover, was a live entertainment lover in a huge way. And so uh, it took Dave this problem, and that's that. And Dave came back and said, well, just build an app. And I'm like, well, there's a problem with building an app in a live entertainment environment. It's the same problem as handing them a remote, which is, which is, it's, it's going to be, it's tough to scale that. But, but there's something, there's something also that not, that doesn't really work with that idea because I always describe it as like the 805 problem, which is like it's 805 and it's raining and the patron gets to the event or gets to the theater or wherever they're going and the usher has to stop them and say, oh, the show's already started, but have you downloaded the app? <laughs> and yeah. you lost the customer, right? I mean, you've got, and, and, and over the last seven years, you know, COVID, you know, being, you know, this kind of weird gray area where nothing happened. But over the last seven years, I've seen experiences try and do this, too, like in, in, in both different ways where I've seen, where I've seen uh, experience on Broadway, which were really, really good, but they required the audience to ha be handed something technical. Um, um, and it, that's a tough thing to make work. But then I, you know, there have been other major companies, and I won't, I won't name them, who have experimented with asking audiences to download an app or buy a live experience. And, and truth be told, it's hard enough to get them to buy a ticket, right? That is the, yeah. that is the requirement. That's it, right? If they buy a ticket to see your show, that is all you can have. Everything else have to be, have, they, they have to give to you, right? Um, and so, so Dave came back and said, Dave said, all right, let's do an app. And I said, no, it's never going to work. Um, and also at that point, even in 2015, I'm like, I don't want to download an app. And now people right. don't want to yeah. download it. I right? know, I know, yeah. Okay, yeah, because it's, um, it, you know, the data privacy and all that, you know, the, and, and, and also, you know, just the concept of like, in this point now, the app has to be truly functional in your life, right? So like the apps that I use the most, I have tons of apps on my phone that I don't use, right? The apps I use the most are my Delta app for travel. That's a useful one. Um, I use my, um, I use, I mean, obviously anything I read, like, you know, Facebook and social media stuff. Um, but then also like weird things, like I, I got sold on TikTok to the, to the meter. You heard about the meter, right? No. It's a, it's a digital thermometer that you put that helps you cook your meat. It tells you when your food is done. I'm kidding you not. It's the best thing I ever bought on the internet. It's really cool. Um, so anyway, but like, but like, you know, those are truly functional. I'm never talking about live entertainment, which meant that what I, what I envisioned giving out to be, which it is now is that it's gotta be disposable. It's got to be something that they use only in the theater, and then and then and so we we went the direction of doing it for uh, as uh, only based solely on the mobile web, right? So that it's in the browser on your phone, and and QR code in or back then it was like enter a website and a code like two clicks and in, and we deployed it for. I started working on another project using it. We deployed it and it worked, right? It was it was. I mean, first couple times we tried it, it didn't work, but that's technology. But then once we got the thing working the ease of use for the consumer and just the fun that they were having using the web, web browser on their phone in order to engage an experience was really cool. Mm -hmm. But that was like 17 to 20, right? 2017 to 2020. And it was always a side project for me while I was doing other stuff. I think you mentioned like I had a, I had a production company called Tilted Windmills. I was very fortunate to produce um, a hit off-Broadway play called Puffs, which is a parody of the Harry Potter universe. Um, it ran for three years in New York. It was a really big hit. It's now the number two most produced play in the U.S. Like it did, it did great for itself. And I was very consumed by running that. Um, they did a lot of things around. Made a movie about it. Did a bunch of stuff. Um, 
And and then I produce on Broadway. I produce an experiential show called Slava Snow Show, which is a, a European show that I brought into Broadway for eight weeks. And then when at the end of nineteen, my partnership was breaking up. Um, I was kind of I was kind of done with Broadway, which we can talk about because I have a lot to say about that. And I wanted to <laughs> try something else with my life. Um, and I was going to fight over over all the IP in my various companies. And and I decided to say I was no, I'm going to fight for I'm going to fight for gameiotics. I called something different then. I was like, I'm going to fight for this because I don't think I've ever fully explored what this can do in live entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I did, and I won it, and I got you know I started working on it, and then March of 2020, the pandemic hit, <laughs> <laughs> and live entertainment ceased to be for a few years. Yeah, well, let me let me ask you this. I want to just go back. Let, let's look at this. Uh, w- uh, what you started with there, the uh, romantic comedy with the genie, because that's probably like yeah. the, you know the very you know the smallest form of this whole thing at the beginning stages. So, from the actor's perspective, how does this work? Is this from the audience side? Is it truly you know vote on choosing your own adventure, or are the actors uh, you know pre-scripted and rehearsed on ten different directions the show could go in? How does it how does it work? I just want the audience to understand from their perspective how it works, and then from the actor side. Sure, that that version of the show, right, or that version of a show was that the whole thing was scripted. The actors had to know every every possibility, but there were maybe only fifteen choices in the show. If I remember, if I remember, it's been a while, but like, but there weren't that many branches to the narrative that that were done. It was still interesting, and it was still a larger than average script, but it was entirely manageable uh, because. The the branch the nodes what we call them now the nodes were 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 relatively easy to deal with um, and the variations weren't so great and also you had this um, you had this sense of track right so when I say there were three women that the audience choose it was about I don't know a quarter of the way through the show I think that that moment happened and then the show is on three tracks and for the guy. The tracks are pretty similar, and for the woman, you know, memorizing those choices, right, is just based on their track. So it actually wasn't a monumental task to be able to do that live attention. When I, because that's also part of it. When I say that I finally saw that someone had been able to successfully deploy this idea, that's also part of it. Is that it was a manageable experience mm. for the actor. So the- yeah. Yeah, so then what, so let's just, what happens, um, so let's say, uh, walk me through one point, let's just use this show for an example, then we'll move on to some more, uh, some stuff that you could do with gameionics with the technology you have now, but, sure. so you get to a certain point in the show, and then what happens, the audience votes, and then basically well, in, the in show kind of resets, or how does it work? Yeah, and in that version, in that version of the show, and I'd love to talk about Twenty Side Tavern and how I use it now, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, no, that I want, well, I want to, I want to definitely do that. I want to go from the early yeah. tech to where we are. Well, so I had, so this was just, this was just conceptual. I had no tech in that show. My tech never ran that show. It was the educational polling software. So, so what would happen in that show is that the that and it was pretty simplistic, where the audience would make a choice and say, say this line, this line, or this line, right? And the consequence would be a point system inside the show. So the no didn't didn't change the narrative too dramatically in, from a structural standpoint. There were some, where do you want this couple to go on the date? Do they go to the restaurant? Do they go to the club? Do they go to this place? And then a scene would happen as a result of that. 
And, and then if there was a choice inside that scene, it'd be related to the point system. So it was a fairly basic structure about moving through what you're what you call, you know, a choose your adventure style experience. Um, but it, but again, it was a manageable way to be able to do that. And then the points would get tallied and then the ending would get decided. And the genie was always there to kind of help everybody along. Right. To make sure that no one really got lost in the narrative. They never did. Um, you know, again, it was a fairly manageable thing. So so, you know what? But again, it was all it was all polling based for the audience, right? They would have A, B or A, B, C choices and whatever got the most votes win. And that was the extent of the audience interaction was, okay. hey, here's the moment, vote, what do you guys want to do? And, and and that was it. It was just simple. It was simple polling. So that also was something that I wasn't terribly satisfied with because I felt there was, if you're going to move it onto the phone, you're going to move it into a web-based process, what we we're planning on doing, there has to be more that we can do, which turned out to be very true. Mm -hmm. um, um, so yeah, so I worked on that show. I had that, I worked on that show like I had the option for a year, but I really worked on it for about six months before the author and I just kind of really butted heads on the creative direction of the show. Um, and 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 part of ways we're like how. And so the next thing that I did was I had just opened Pups in New York. It was already a success. It was going really well. And I turned to the team that wrote Pups and I said, "All right, I I started building this technology. I have this technology." I have a production opportunity in, I think it was in 15, 15, in early 17 at the University of Florida um, at Tampa. And we said, basically said, write a show. I mean, we pitched, we pitched this, we pitched the university to come in and say, hey, give us a production slot, which they did. And we said, we'll deliver a show. And they're like, can we see a script? We're like, well, it has not been written yet, but we'll get one to you. And then we went back to the team and said, and, and we said, um, all right, write a show. They wrote a show uh, that was a, that was a Western. Um, and that was the first time that I'd seen the, that was the first time we used the actual software, the actual gameotic software married to a show. And that, that actually unveiled my first major problem, which was I had, which was because no one had ever really done this before, no one really knew what to do. And the, the problem is that the software became a gimmick rather than a tool. I was going to ask you that. That's no. And that's something that we see in technology you know, really frequently in that, in that if, if it's not, if it's not deployed correctly, if it's not used as a tool to advance the story, then it simply just becomes this gimmick that gets old after a while. Um, the other thing that happened in that show that I think, that I think is kind of, it's kind of important because it's a, it's a problem that is still waiting to be solved. There's a, there's a way to solve it, but you had a, a female protagonist on stage who was this character Basically, you know, there's many, there are many iterations of that script over two and a half years, but but reductively, I'll say she she goes back to her hometown in Texas at the turn of the century to avenge her family, right, who have all been murdered by an evil gang. That was basically the the premise of this western, and and um um the 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 problem that we ran into for two and a half years is that the audience played the show as the protagonist. Right? They made all of the decisions for this woman in her journey. And what we, what we realized is that you can't actually create a character that way. And that, and that, that there was no character that was actually being written. It was, an, it was essentially it was an empty vessel for the audience. And so you have this protagonist on stage that you're supposed to be following, but she's, not, but she's ultimately not that interesting because there's no real character there. Yeah. And, and, it was, and that, was, that was part of the gimmick making of, of the gameotic software was that it was just kind of thrown in to do fun things, but the show wasn't really, the show was way too linear, linearly constructed in order for it to be able to work. Um, um, so that, you know, some of the choices 
And I, and I spent two years learning this problem, which is some of the choices that you were making had no consequence. Like it didn't matter. And of course, and, and if you're asking, and, 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 and we see that in video, I mean, we see that in video games a lot. I don't know how big of a video gamer and any of your fans who played the Mass Effect series know exactly what I'm talking about when we get to the ending of Mass Effect 3, um, which is if your choices don't matter, what was the point? And and that that was a that was a really big stumbling block that that that, that team could never ever find their way out of. And so you had it, you and that, and that's where you had this idea that gaming addicts is being used as a gimmick rather than something that was really advancing the art form, advancing the story, advancing the experience for the audience. So like I said, I worked on that two, two and a half years. Um, and I did, last ditch in 2019, we did seven readings of the show over nine weeks to try and see if we could get this thing moving forward, see if we could learn learn about it. Um, and one of my uh, uh, partners from uh, Australia, a guy who I'd worked with in Australia, happened to be in New York, and he came and saw it. And he walked out of the show, and he grabbed me, and he said, and he said, um, here's the thing. He's like, you don't have a show. There's no show there. You have a platform. <laughs> Go focus on the platform. And I was like, I'm like, really? He's like, you have a platform to build something. Get rid of the show. Start over. And I was like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars later, you're like, oh, God. But you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah. none of that. None of that time was wasted because he was right. I mean, he was a hundred percent right. And I always credited him saying um, that that he instantly saw what the opportunity was for us, which was it wasn't it wasn't about the show. Like we needed to build the platform out first before and really understood the platform that we were on before trying to put a show on top of it. We were doing it all in the reverse order because we were mm -hmm. using the show to, to advance the technology, and and that was the wrong way to go about it. And I'm sure you've talked to the tech companies where. You, know, you have a concept, you have a, you have a need, you have a want, you have something that is um, 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 wanting to be fulfilled, but you know, the technology's got to be multifaceted. It's got to be able to grow and do a lot of different things than what your original intent of it is in order for it to become scalable. And you know, I had approached this certainly from a creative standpoint of, oh, I have this Western that is Shushan Adventure in style, that, it can, that, want, you know, that wants to do all this audience, you want to do all these things that you know, reference back to that very first show that I worked on. And truth be told, I, I shouldn't have done any of that. I should have actually just sat down and and built out the platform. And and luckily, that's what happened during COVID. Yeah. So so you have Gameionics focused on the software, and then you have Twenty Sided uh, Tavern, which is focused on your own uh, theatrical productions connected <laughs> to and utilizing the uh, Gameionics software. Is that is that yeah, how it's so, set up? So yeah. So what happened um, was during the during the pandemic, when 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 March of March of 2020 hit, March 13th, 14th, um, and live entertainment started shutting down. I remember um, I was trying to think, like, gosh, now what do I do? Right, because all my money had disappeared. Everything had disappeared. Everything had just evaporated. Over <laughs> Everything just yeah. like a lot of founders went through that. Anyone who was raising in January to March can relate very deeply to like just one day everything stopped. Right. Um, um, yeah, it was tough. It was, it was a tough time period. And, and like, I was, I was starting to get prepared for it because the market crashed the week before. I mean, just flat out crashed. And, and I had been calling investors and saying, Hey, you know, cause what, what I was doing at that point was that I commissioned a new, I was doing, I mean, I was making, I was in the process of making the same mistake again, which is I gathered a couple artists together. I commissioned a new show. I said, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. And they were off working on it and doing it exactly the wrong way in retrospect now. No, that mm -hmm. I was just simply making the same mistake all over again. And um, 
And so then the pandemic hit, and all that evaporates. Those those creative ran off with my money, um, and uh, wasn't very much. So it's fine. But like those the that and so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, well, let, let, let's think of let's let's problem solve our way out of this. What's happening right now? There's no live entertainment. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call my friends who are now all out of work all of a sudden, and we're going to build an online production company using Zoom as a platform, and we're going to use gameotics as the connectivity for audiences, no matter where they are, if they're at home, anywhere in the US or in the world, and we're gonna put on shows for them using Gimeonics. And, and that started a period of insane work that technically has still not ended, but, but it started a period of work where me and this wonderful group of people, some of whom I'm still working with right now, did 18 hour long shows in 20, I'm sorry, did 20 hour long shows in 18 months all on the Zoom platform, every month, um, um, uh, basically what would happen is that we'd pitch ideas in week one, we'd solidify it, we'd write a narrative map, we'd write a gaming map, we'd write for two weeks, we'd tech, rehearse, put it up. Because the actors never had to memorize anything, so they're all sitting at home in front of a camera. And we did branching narratives, we did murder mysteries, we did escape rooms, we did puzzle shows, we did game shows, um, we did like all manner of these hour-long shows and built an audience and a following for it. Um, and the thing that I was doing was saying, all right, can gameotics service this content? Can it do branching narrative? Yeah, check that off list. Can it do murder mysteries? Yeah, check that off list. What about game shows? Yeah, and all along the way, we kept building more features in the gameotics because there was one thing to have all my financing collapse, but I showed up three months later with a better idea, which is mm -hmm. I went back to my investors, um, and if you remember, the deal flow in 2020 into 21 was insane. And I went back to a group of investors, and over the course of about 18 months, there was about a half million dollars into this new version of Gameotic, into this new company yeah. um, that was purely a software company. And we were using that development cash to, to test out the software in as many different places as we can. And I had engineers working for me um, who would then, like, well, basically what would happen in the creative process is that the writers would say, hey, can the software do this? No. Can it? Well, let me go ask. Yes, you can have that in two weeks. Great, go write for that. And we just kept doing that over and over and over again. And so then the software really advanced. I mean, we really moved into a whole new place with the software during that time period because I kept getting asked, I wanted to do more. I wanted to do this. I want to try this with it, you know, along, along with my own ambitions, um, but also with, um, um, with, the, with this group of writers that I was working with. We had a ton of fun. It was super hard and super stressful. We had a ton of fun doing this. Um, mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, it was, it was Zoom, like it was Zoom, it was Zoom entertainment and, and I, I can't argue enough against it, to be honest with you, because that Zoom entertainment is just not, it's not there yet. <laughs> no. if that makes, like, you know, but I mean, I think we saw, we saw during the pandemic that, um, that streaming entertainment didn't, I mean, live streaming entertainment, right? I'm not talking about Netflix or Hulu or Disney. They, they're all fun. I'm talking like taking a live event and streaming it for people didn't really take off in the entertainment spectrum outside of gaming. People yeah. still live stream gaming. Twitch is enormous, right? But I'm talking about story-driven entertainment. Didn't like streaming, live streaming didn't work. 
No, I saw a lot of uh, comedian friends of mine as I used to be in that industry bombing <laughs> live yeah. on live on Zoom in front of three people. So it was. Uh, yeah. I saw a lot of the corporate entertainment comedians who could make ten thousand dollars for a one hour uh, comedy routine, cutting themselves down to two hundred and fifty dollars to go on Zoom and do comedy for a conference. So it was rough for a lot of people. But I want to ask you. So now, Gameionics. Yeah. I mean, looking at your website. So now you're at least uh you know marketing wise you're pushing out towards education theater sports marketing live events museums amusement parks are you in all those arenas yet or is that something that you're hoping to grow the company towards uh we're, that's what we're growing the company towards right now i mean obviously we're in live theatrical obviously um and then and then i i gotta i get my hands on a couple of other things right now so so what i learned over the course of the pandemic about my software was at its heart, I, I, it was a platform. There's no question about that. But what it did was that it's a two-way communication dev device between audience and content during the course of a live event that gives the audience agency, either as an individual or as a group, to be able to make decisions that affect and change the content that's happening in real time. And that's what the, and that's what the software does. Um, so... We look at examples out at, in, at a lot of live theater, but part of it is that it's a really, it's a simple piece of software that you can turn any space or any experience into an audience-driven experience. So when we look at the museum vertical, one of, my, one of the things that I'm working on right now um, is being able to build um, a, a a tour of a museum or, or what we would normally consider an audio guided tour. Audio guided tour is, is you know, you got to rent the, the hardware, you got to put the hardware on you, and you got to input the buttons as you're going. And then, you know, and you go from place to place to place. And it's a one-way interactive, um, it's a linear passive experience is what it is. I mean, it is it interactive that you get to pick, that you punch in the number for the next thing, but you're on a fairly <laughs> linear uh, path, right? In, in terms mm -hmm. of, in ter and, and you're, Inputs don't change anything that's happening. It doesn't change the journey, really, uh, what's going on. So what Kenyans can do is that it, first off, there's nothing, it's on your phone. You buy a QR code, or you, but you know, you buy it, you take it with a QR code on it, and then you're, and then you're into the software. Or you're, you're, um, right. um, and, and what it allows for is for you as content provider, let's say, let's say with a museum, right? I'm the Van Gogh exhibit, um, okay. to establish a conversation with the consumer. And that conversation um, is is determined by how the consumer answers the questions you're asking them. Um, and so what and, and in that conversation, the conversation can go, and obviously there have to be bound, they're bound to it, the conversation can go many, many different ways. So do you want to you know learn about Van Gogh's sunflowers or you want to learn about a deer, for a lack of a better example right now? Um, and then that decision puts you on a journey, right? That then is also becomes multifaceted, and you go on an adventure, you go on a journey based on the input that you're putting, based on the reactions that you are having the materials putting in front of you. And the the goal being is like, oh, once you finish it, you go back and do it again, and you, and you make different choices. You learn something else entirely. That you're mm -hmm. able to take these ideas, and instead of me telling you where to go, your choices determine where you go on this journey. And that's because that's the kind of experience I want to have in a museum, right? That's what mm -hmm. I want to do. It's like I don't. I want to be able to have something that I'm interacting with, to have something that is that is that is changing to reflect the choices that I'm making and the experience that I'm having, rather than here's the thing. Because the point of gameotics, and it's the gamification of entertainment, the game of, but the point is is that 
what we're doing is that we're we are we're building a platform to be able to provide experiences but the next generation of experiences are dynamic the next generation of experiences are 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 changing to reflect how it is that you are inter inter interfacing with them a, a really good example of 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 something i used this as a marker uh, as i started to build a company years ago was the wand at harry potter world of all things right that is an 80 dollars piece of plastic with an rfid chip buried into it and it's a really lovely design and it is the conversation that you have with the park you have this wand you go to these special points you wave the wand, the rfid chip activates and a thing happens right and that's magical and that's something there's something left but it's not a conversation. It's very one way in terms of what it's doing. What I'm doing is I'm creating that concept of the wand and you input, and then several different things could happen based on the choices that you've been making all along. And we're seeing it reflected in Star Wars now, um, Galaxy Quest at you know in Orlando, which is massively successful them. It's you know that, that two-day very expensive event. But you're starting to see on the high end. You have these media companies who are developing more and more sophisticated interactive experiences. And all I'm doing is building software for everybody to be able to do this. Um, and that's, that's the point of what honest, is that you can build your own branching narrative. You can build your own dynamic experience wherever it is. If you want to build a walking tour of New York City that, that is different every single time you do it, that's what Gameonics is, is, is being built to do right now. So that's where the that's where the software has really evolved to. In that I'm doing group experiences, like I'm doing a 20 side tavern right now, which we'll which we'll talk about, where the audience collectively is making decisions. Down to I want to go on a solo journey, just about me, or I want to go on a journey with just me and my five friends, mm -hmm. and we're going to go on this thing together. That's 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 what the software is being built to do. That that's interesting. And let me go back. We I mentioned to you before the show. My wife has been to uh, forty seven countries, and uh, she had never gone to Broadway. I grew up ninety minutes from New York City, so grew up going to Broadway, seeing the Rockettes and such. So, um, yeah. I said to her a uh, few months back, it was her birthday. I said, "Listen, the way this world is going towards the uh, metaverse, which we've talked about in uh, extensively on this show to my audience," I said, uh, "We better go to Broadway now because God only knows what's going to happen." in the next few years my question for you is do you think that this technology obviously serving i'm 41 i would say people definitely younger than me i was the last generation who grew up without the internet in my pocket so i know what it's like to live without it i can sit through a play without being distracted by my phone does this save does your technology save live entertainment by adding this interactive element that maybe the younger generations will be interested in and get them back out out into seats uh, from the theater side of things. Well, I, I I don't think that live inter I don't think that live entertainment itself is in any danger. I feel like, especially coming through the two years of COVID, I think we know a hundred percent for sure now that at the end of the day, humans still need to be connected to each other. There's lots of us, especially me, like I like being at home watching Netflix. No question about that. This guy worked at Broadway for twenty years, right? Like, there's no question that exists, but you cannot replace gathering together as a community or gathering together as people. And, I, and COVID really hit that hit that nail on the head in in that, oh, this is necessary and important. What I will say is how we do it is a constantly evolving form. I mean, musical theater in its current form, Broadway in its current form, didn't really exist 
exist the way it does today in the 1940s. Before that, it was vaudeville and reviews. It's a very different type of shows. Before that, it was opera, right? So there's always been a live stage component. I mean, certainly going back centuries and centuries now. And the art form that how it is that we're, we're consuming this entertainment is, is, is evolving every century. There's no question like that. I think when you when we start talking about the metaverse, it's it the it, it's it's how I look at it's it's the same way that I look at um, how um, video games were able to find an enormous amount of success going from I'm at my couch playing this game and it's me against the game to me and my friends are playing this shooter game together collectively to Fortnite. And so, and so you have this, and I, and I think what the metaverse is doing is just is, is taking that next step from these large worlds, these large Fortnite worlds, and continuing to evolve that. I think what what Zuckerberg is is in whatever he's trying to put a pin on is saying, well, this is this isn't just going to be about gaming. This is going to be about this is going to be about entertainment. It's like okay, I'm like yeah, I buy that. Like yeah, no, I buy it. Like fine, there's there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is um, is what's happened is what's happened in VR. Um, um, and, and AR for that matter. And everybody's like, I, I'm, not, I'm not a naysayer of either of these technologies in any way, shape, or form, but the problem that VR has had, because we've been hearing about the coming of VR for many, many, many years now. Oh, this is the future. And everybody, I'm sure you have the same experience that I do. The first time you put that VR headset on and you're wandering around, you're looking around, you're like, this is the, I see this, this is amazing. And then about six months later, you're like, what's that thing sitting in the corner? Because that's what's happened to my VR head, headset now. And the reason being is like, <laughs> it becomes there, a gimmick. There's, 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 yeah, because the content's not there. The, the, the content simply isn't there. And so you have this, you have Meta making this bet of, okay, well, we're going to put all the money behind making this universe and making this thing. Well, it's not, they, they don't have, they don't have enough money to, um, to be able to build all the content that's going to need to fit in that world. My main issue with all of this right now is consumer adoption. Um, and the problem in me, and I say this as, as me as an individual, like I have a VR headset, but I have a, I have the second version of it, right? Like it's, it's perfectly fine. It works perfectly fine. I like playing, you know, um, the game with the, that you wave the, 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 the lightsaber game with the music, right? Like whatever, whatever that is. Cause I, but I'm a platform gamer too. Like I'm a, I have a switch. I have a PS5. I'm sorry. I have a switch. I have a PS4 and I have an Xbox. Like, like I love, I love platform games. I love co-op games uh, that I play with my husband. I love playing with friends, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy the next PS5. I'm going to buy the PS5 next. That's the next thing I'm buying. I ain't spending another six hundred dollars on on a, on the next gen VR headset because the mm -hmm. PS5 is going to be better. I want to play Horizon, right? So, so like they're 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 you know when when, when but sorry. No, no, this is good. No, 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 this is a great conversation because we're taking somebody who comes out of, you know, live entertainment out of production. This is fantastic. I love talking about technology and how it's affecting these industries. Myself, personally, as someone, like I said, that did not grow up as you did not with the internet in our pockets, we know what it's like to live in a world without uh, technology. Um, and so you, you struggling with it is, it's fantastic to see because it's the love of the live entertainment and then figuring out how to merge it appropriately with technology i think not to have technology replace the entertainment and the real world experience so if you look at the evolution of platform gaming because i because they're like netflix did a great you know things that made a series about this and i had an atari as a kid um i love you know played frogger 
But you know, the, the content on those early console games weren't that great. Not for I wasn't even Friars, like what, what are they, they weren't they weren't that great. And what happened is is that that they, it shifted to the arcades. You remember malls, you remember malls, you're old enough to remember malls. Uh, yes. when malls existed, they don't think they're anything right. But the arcade, the arcade, you know, arcades and malls were huge, right? And the industry tons and tons of money and put it into into building content for console uh, arcade consoles. Um, so, which I like, like now that's nostalgic, right? Now I'll go. There's a there's a place in New York called Barcade. Have you ever been to Barcade before? Yes, I have. Barcade yeah. is just oh, oh yeah, Barcade. I love Barcade. It's my favorite bar yeah. in New York. It's all video game consoles, all video game consoles. I play all. It's like a total nostalgia trip, right? All, all this money went into it, and then the Japanese brilliantly built the, the Nintendo box. But the, mm -hmm. the most brilliant part of what they built it was Super Mario Brothers. And Super Mario Bros. wasn't originally available as a as an arcade game. You had to buy the Nintendo and then buy Super Mario Brothers. But they, but they, like Microsoft at the time, opened up their platform for other developers to build and profit off of their platform while them taking a hefty profit at the same time. And no one had ever constructed a like there wasn't anything else in the market. And Nintendo owned the platform gaming market for a decade. Right, that I mean, when we talk about first market advantage, when we talk about these things, what it comes down to with that that strategic move is like they had a platform that worked, that worked really well at home. Two people could play it together at the same time, and then they built Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers, which mm. were really good games, <laughs> right? Like they yeah. really were. Um, and and then and and didn't look back. And then it took it took ten years for Sony. And for um, and uh, for Sony and for um, the other the other platform companies to be able to come in um, uh, and like my only problem that I have with the Switch right now is like I'm not building enough content for the Switch. Mm -hmm. All I want to do is play my Switch all the time. But anyway, mm -hmm. it's not important. So so when so it's not just the platform, right? We're going back to this metaverse question. It's not just the platform; it's the content. You got to build content that that shows people that they can make money off of your platform. You've got to open the platform up in order to be. Uh, you know, an, an economy. And, and you know, that's the challenge that VR ran into. It's like the headsets work can't actually compete with the, with the AAA games that are coming out for the PS5. They just simply, they simply can't with the type of experience. They'll get, and, and once they cross that bridge, there will be no looking back. Once a, a, a headset game is better than I can play on my PS5, then, uh, then I think we'll be talking. But who knows? Well, I don't know when that day is coming. Well, let me ask you this, too. As someone who's obviously done all the research into this as you've been building these companies and, and uh, raising investment capital, do you see the day in, let's say, three years, five years, ten years, where people are going to put on you know, a VR headset, as we're talking about, enter Horizon Worlds or Decentraland and go to Broadway and watch a show that's as realistic as you'd see it in real life. Do you think that's coming or do you think that is a pipe dream? And if that comes, do you think people will adopt that or they will reject it or they will do that half the time and go out into the real world and interact with technology that you're developing? All right, so always in the technology questions, the, the 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 conversation always comes up as what can technology replace or add to to do something in our lives that's better than it was before okay so uber is a great example of of, of that which is calling cab companies is easy like you know like even on a smartphone like picking up calling a cab company is easy uber made it even better and they were a platform that created an economy 
good or bad, some people might say bad, create an economy, create an economy around it. Because truth be like, as a New Yorker, I hate taking a cab. I absolutely despise getting in cabs, right? I'm much happier taking an Uber, um, uh, you know, and especially, you know, especially when I, um, when I travel. So, mm -hmm. so when we, when we ask that question, you know, in terms of, in terms of this live entertainment, I always, I come back and I say, tell me how these holographic performances are doing, right? Tell me how these dead people holograph on stage, like, did, like, because that was coming, right? Oh my God, this is the next generation. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't replace live entertainment. Like, you cannot replace in-person entertainment, right? You can make something to compete with it, but you simply cannot replace it at all. So mm -hmm. when we look at the when we look at the metaverse as a platform, we look at these places and you say, hey, are you going to go see a Broadway show? No, Broadway show is live entertainment. Broadway takes place within New York City. It is what it is. What I think the question you're asking for is saying, well, what type of live entertainment is going to happen in the metaverse? And that hasn't a question that has been answered yet. I, of course, like with gameotics, it's like I'm taking the standpoint of gamification of entertainment is how is how we create an economy. That you are that if you are outside of live entertainment or you are in a digital world, the the aspect of engagement and stakes is really important to keep the consumer's head in the thing that they're doing. And there's no question in my mind that that at some point we'll want to take the concept of what a gameotics experience is into that realm. But for now, we're testing it in, 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 in real life, for lack of a better term. Um, and, we're, and, we're, and we're really here because, truth be told, there's tons of money in live entertainment. It's a yeah. massive business. Um, you worked in it. You know, there's a lot of money in live entertainment. Um, oh, and, what I, and all I'm doing is, 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 is the evolution of experiential entertainment and giving uh, agency to consumers during the experience. Um, mm -hmm. It's taking this idea, this next, it's this next idea of, of the definition of what interactive entertainment actually is. Okay. All right. Hey, I want to do something, though. I want to walk people through, uh, let's say, in its current iteration. So if we're watching a play that you are producing that you've uh, brought this technology into or you're working with a production company, uh, you gave the example of the museum. Let's just say we're watching something on stage. Uh, like, So how does the audience actually, I know they're going on um, to a website they access via QR code instead of going on to an app, which is great because like you said, uh, you know, and, there, and there's, a, we overloaded the app stores with millions of apps and now we're getting to a point where people are like, I'm not downloading the new app. So now they're sitting in the theater. What happens when everyone votes? Like, how do the actors reset? I'm just interested for someone who used to produce and direct. So I'm gonna. Well, why don't we why don't we talk about Twenty Sides Tavern? Because this is a good, this is a good point to talk about that. Since this is a product that I am that my my that Gimme Alex, my company is developing with a couple of other partners right now. Um, so what it is is that we are taking the concept of a, a Dungeons and Dragons style game, right? Um, not an actual D&D game, but the style of a Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, and we are putting that live on stage and turning it into a show, right? And that, and that if you look at the pillars of what a D&D game is, um, is that you and a group of friends create a story world every night, right? Every time you play, you sit down, you have characters that you've created, and then you have a story, that a branching narrative story that you're going through, and the consequences of your of your die roll, the consequences of the choices you're making, the things you're investing, whatever you're doing as a player affects how the game is happening. Like, and it is a dynamic gaming event that you know is is fairly analog. We describe as analog, but super super fun if you're a D&D &D fan. Um, 
And all modern gaming is based on RPG gaming. Like I'm a firm believer in that. Like everything comes from from what what Gary Gygax did in the mm-hmm. did in the 70s. So so um, in Troy Tavern, you have a uh, a game master on stage who is who has a giant branching narrative story in front of them that they're reading, you know, off a tablet digital. Um, who is in control of the story, just like a DM would be in a, in a Dungeons Dragons game. You have a, a tavern keeper on stage who's running the game, which I'll talk about in a second, run the gameotics aspect of it, and then any other gaming aspects coming into it. And then you have three players who are who are in a class, so a fighter, an agent, a rogue. And the audience comes in to the theater, um, they uh, they scan a QR code and, on their phone. It's the first thing they do. They immediately scan a QR code, um, and the software pops up on your phone, like uh, on the web browser on your phone. And the very first thing that the, that the software asks you is, um, wh- which class do you want to be in tonight? Fighter, major, rogue, right? And in fact, it's not even that one. It's actually like, which 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 color are you? Red, green, or blue? And we have a way of being able to make it even um, uh, truthfully, like with the audience. But uh, um, um, and what that what that does, it actually sorts the audience into what we call cohorts, meaning that one of the tricks, uh, one of the functions of gameotics that makes it especially unique within the marketplace is that I can send choices to any cohort that I want to, individually or collectively, um, throughout the course of the show. Meaning that I can isolate groups of the audience members based on their choices. Now, in Twice Five Tavern, we only really use that cohort choice, choice once or twice, but the software is being primed to be able to deliver experiences that are very complicated branching narrative experiences and cohort-driven experiences where you could literally have individual groups of people running around having their own experience within a single environment or in multiple environments. Like, it's a really awesome function of it. This is an early day, so we're using the most basic function of the cohort. And so what happens is that what it allows for the actors to be able to do is establish a relationship with their group in the audience, the fighter group, the mage group, the rover, right? Um, the second choice that the audience makes in the 25 Tavern experience is which character do they want the actor to play? So the actors come on stage as themselves and they say, hey, look, tonight I have three possible characters that I can play. I can play this one, this one, or this one. You guys choose which one you want to go. And all three actors do that. And so we, we currently have built 30 playable characters in our library, but there's a nine every night that's possible. And the actors all have a bunch that they can play. And, and, and we have a, a number of different actors do the show. So everybody's been able to, to do and bring to the table these different these different characters. So they have something that they own. But then every night it's a different combination of characters that are going to be happening, depending on the actor that's up there, depending on the combination the audience chooses. And then the audience, and then we start the story. And, the, and those three characters are going on an adventure. They have a quest. They have an objective. They have things that they have to solve. There are battles that they must fight. And all throughout the course of the show, the audience is, is making um, a, a, series of, a series of decisions, right? They can choose which room to send the group, the adventure party into, um, all the way down to like when you're in a battle sequence, the actor will say, all right, here's my choice. Do I hit him with a sledgehammer or do I cut him up with knives? And, 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 and fighters, you choose what I do. And then the actor improvs the thing that happens based on the audience choice. And so the audience is part of this storytelling experience in, in what I described as providing opportunity for the actors on stage to respond to the circumstances that keep getting thrown at, thrown at them. So like the actors are running a marathon on stage because they show up for work every day having no idea what's going to happen that night. <laughs> oh, no, it actually sounds fascinating, to be honest. It's, it is, and I, I, I kid you not, it is the most fun 
thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, this is my producing hat on, right? Yeah. Build, being built this. But we are building role-playing gaming experience. Twenty-five Tavern is just the first of what we want to do, but we're building live-action role-playing gaming experiences that the audience has stakes and choices and decisions that they're making all throughout the course. And to be honest, just the platform to do audience engagement. Like, it's not writing the story. It's not, you know, like I have created, there's a creative team that's building the actual experience. Game Arts is just simply providing a platform to allow for the audience to participate and interact with the story in real time live on stage. Um, so let, so let, let's so, just say, so I understand, so they can, so you have three actors come out and then basically the audience is uh, what sort of like voting, they're picking what the actors are going to play. But then give me an example in the, in the middle of the show, like how the audience is interacting with their phone. I mean, we do, we do um, everything from um, the, the, the adventuring party will find themselves trapped in a room or they find themselves in a room and we'll have an NPC or a non-player character come on and say, oh, well, to get out of this room successfully without taking any damage, here's a puzzle. And then we throw it to the audience and say, all right, here's the puzzle, like, you know, think, you know, like a think puzzle, right? And they, and we say, answer correctly. And if, and if something like 80% of the audience is a text entry box, 80% of the audience gets the puzzle right, the adventure continues correctly. And if they get it wrong, the actors take damage and we go in a different direction. Like things like oh, that. Oh, okay, that's cool, yeah, that's cool. Like that, right? So then the, the, we have this fun thing, there's a button masher that we have, I call it a button masher. We, internally we call it a multi-click, where it's basically, it's basically a, a dynamic bar graph. And, and, and this is the craziest thing. You've never seen an audience freak out over a bar graph in this way, where we say to the audience, all right, here's this moment in the show. And I always call it, it's the, um, it's the it's from Peter Pan. It's the clap or Tinkerbell dies moment. You know, if you ever saw Peter Pan as a kid, and yeah. and like, oh no, Tinkerbell's gonna die. All, all the kids in the audience have to clap really hard, and you just hear these like five year olds just like clapping and screaming. They want Tinkerbell to die. Well, I replicated that <laughs> idea into a button match, right? Where the audience have to hit their phone. They have to hit a button on their phone over and over again in order to get. Uh, you know, the bar up across the line. So it's like, say, say if the bar is at 900 clicks, the audience has to collectively hit a thousand clicks to win or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And you just have to, because that's the thing, it's like, they get so invested in the stake, they want to succeed, they want to help the story along, they want to help the characters on stage, that they try, they participate in order to achieve the thing. And and the fun thing about the gameiotic software is I can we can change the, the difficulty level. Uh, mm -hmm. And we do. And so a button match at the beginning of the show is very different from a button match th at the end of the show, because at the end of the show, the stakes have gone up. But again, that's what the platform is there, right? All we're doing is playing with mechanics and variables in these experiences that we're delivering in order to continually entice and entertain the audience. So that's what 20 Side Tavern is doing. And it's wrapped in the in the in this um in this world of live gaming, of live experience, that you're that isn't really reflected in the marketplace. Certainly on the interactive side, I would say that the the other the show that um um that comes closest is Sleep No More in New York. If you know Sleep No More, mm -hmm. you know this one yeah, one? that's the one at the McKittrick Hotel where it's five stories and it's basically um this nonverbal version of Macbeth, and you can follow the actors around, and there are all the different scenes, and all these things are taking place, but you're you're wandering around and interacting in this in this built out of uh, this environment that they did, but you don't make any choices that change anything that happens, right? Right. You're, it's the show. The show's always the show. And so what I wanted to do is want to build that next generation of experience where your choices actually are changing it. And for us in Twenty Side, and this is the point of Gameiotics, why you built Gameiotics for live entertainment. Shows never the same twice ever. It's always a different show every day. There yeah. can be a lot of similarities sometimes, but it's always a different experience because it's all based on what the audience does that night.
So I'm o- I'm over at the 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 twenty sided tavern dot com. So you uh, is it coming up October twenty seventh to January fifteenth in Chicago? Is that correct? We are doing three months in Chicago at the Broadway Playhouse um, in partnership with the Nederlanders. Um, it's going to be our first major production. We've been in development for about a year now, um, and we're launching it at the end of this month. So now is that? So when I'm sitting in the audience, is the audience always sitting looking at a stage or does this have multiple rooms and people are moving around inside? So this version of the show is is built for a proscenium style house. Um, mm-hmm. um, so you are in, you are in, and we've done a lot. We've done proscenium versions before. We've done thrust and the round versions before. We actually built this product to be really malleable to the type of setting that we're in. And mm-hmm. and we, we, um, we wanted to build interactive entertainment for the theatrical market that could play within a traditional theatrical market, as well as you know other other types of venues, There's other things that, are, that we're going to do with it. But we built Chicago to tour the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And now, you, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, you say, and and we and we experimented. We've experimented with it several times, and a proscenium, like I, I think we're going to be the first people to successfully build an interactive experiential piece of entertainment in a proscenium house. Mm-hmm. Now does 20 sided tavern, does that work as the, I mean, is it there to be the working model for uh gameotics or is that to fulfill your love of uh live theater? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the super Mario brothers to my Nintendo. Yeah. Right? It's the platform. <laughs> because the thing is, is, is that it's, um, and look, I'm a really good producer. So like I built a really great product with my friends. Like we are really, really proud of it. Um, but it certainly serves the ambition of we have to show people the power of this technology and how it can work and how it can delight audiences to inspire other people to build their own versions of it. And 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 truth be told, in live entertainment, and you know this as well as I do, there is a general fear of technology. People oh, definitely. Yeah, right. And I have a working piece of, of technology, but no one believes me when I pay them. So I'm like, well, I've just sold... You know, I just sold 3,500 tickets at Edinburgh. Trust me, it works. Hey, look, we, we were selling parody videos of, say, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Sarah Palin, and such to corporate events if they couldn't have, uh, if they couldn't afford to bring the, the live actor there or they only needed something for a few minutes to open a conference. So when deepfake videos started to come out a few years ago, I was calling all the different universities and everyone involved with that. And I was saying, all right, what is this? How do I, you know, before I realized there was like governments involved and everything else i was so naive to it but i was like hey listen they're gonna knock out our three to five thousand dollar range parody videos with these things um you know so yeah everyone in live entertainment i think fears that i have a lot of uh, friends of mine who got into narration book narration that are worried about like a deep fake audio coming out and replacing them once they can make that voice be able to show emotion and things like that so there's a lot of fear obviously in and around uh entertainment but i wanted to ask you this because i've uh saw it i think in your bio and also your agent had mentioned it but you look at or you and you might have said it at the beginning of the show that you look at the smartphone as a tool rather than a distraction and i think that's kind of how i've heard you sort of explain it here so talk about that because I, i talk about that on the show too that you have to look at technology i think sometimes as a tool not necessarily a way of life well it's 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 pretty it's pretty simple right especially from a content standpoint which is if your content you know you you can't fight you can't fight the phone anymore you simply can't like and it's and it's a losing battle i i I would say i would say the when you look at the concert industry 
there was there was never a moment when they were ever going to not have people recording stuff on their phones out of, out of like it was it was the losing battle even the movie industry has been battling it for so long now and that and you know and that's and that's the thing that's one of the one of the reasons why we see Netflix and Hulu so strong is you know it's a little tougher to pirate that content than you know come filming a movie theater but that being said what the movie industry has done I'm sorry what the concert industry has done so well is they've Use the phone. You use those recordings as a marketing tool. They don't try and shut anybody down. They don't try. They they say here, create an Instagram moment. Send this out. Little Nas X right now, who I love following. The brilliant social media, right? Absolutely, repost fans filming his show because the thing is, it's like that person who's sitting at home watching TikTok. There, that might actually encourage them to buy a ticket to see his show because because. He knows that there's actual no real replacement for his live stage show. And so they're really good about putting out these clips and using it as a marketing tool. And for the people who are going to sit there and watch pirated content at home and not at like, they were already not going to make the choice to buy the ticket. So, so taking that, like the, the phone is in our pocket. We use it to unlock our daily lives everywhere. Take the power of that phone and use it to sell the product better. Um, um, and, and, and I, I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that there are, I think there are moments when I completely understand. So I saw, I saw a comedian, Hannah Gatsby in New York a couple of years ago, and you had to put your phone into a yonder bag when you walked into the theater. Um, and the reason being is like, she was working on material for her Netflix special. She didn't want this material leak. She wanted to have a pure. And I was like, okay, that is fair. Right. Like that I totally understand. Um, so there are some, of course, some moments when it's like the phone needs to be put away in order to respect the boundaries of the artist. But so many times, like you're seeing a lot of artists who just simply don't understand that what the consumer behavior is going to be around the phone. And I, of course, I, I take the standpoint of if my content isn't good, of course, they're going to be on Facebook during the show. They already are. They're like, like if, 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 if the show's not good, so make them, so yeah, you should hold your yourself to a standard that the thing that you're delivering on stage is so compelling that you either want to take it and share it with your friends and tell them to go, which is a positive for the artist and positive for the show, or or you're making it compelling that they're not on anything else. They're just riveted by what you're doing. Because phone is yeah. going anywhere. Oh yeah. With all with all the organic marketing that goes on by people shooting those little videos you're talking about and turning them into Instagram moments and Facebook posts. I mean, you could you couldn't pay a marketing agency enough money to do what the fans are doing right there. It was like with Broadway when we, I was deciding what play to bring my wife to. I mean, it was only because a few clips slipped out of Mrs. Doubtfire that and I was looking at the makeup and I'm like, how is he doing the costume change so fast? What is that silicone uh, prosthetic or is that foam latex? If those little clips didn't slip out i probably wouldn't have gone that was the only thing that made me actually go because i didn't want to see go off of the trailer I'm like obviously the trailer is the best quality that you're going to see but to see the real clips are good i just want to ask you one more thing too since we were talking about the phone and like you said trying to fight the phone is a is a losing battle i've heard you also say it might have been in another podcast that um you know gameotics is really just moving in the direction that the consumer demands do you think that the consumer is demanding it or are we sort of programming people into this technology do you think at this point because of video games because of interactive entertainment i mean this is the natural flow of where sort of live entertainment needs to go or these museum tours or other things that we've spoken about it's the natural flow look you you and i all, like you said this before we started the podcast today so i'm gonna, I'm gonna throw words your words of your own back in your face you and i are in a generation that remembers 
what it was like before cell phones, right? Before we went all digital, fully digital. At the at the early, I remember the early days of computer gaming. Um, and but you know, I I have been raised on computers, just like you. I like they have been part of my life for forty years now. And so it's it, this this technological advance that we've witnessed and the integration of technology into our lives. It, it, it's a one-way direction. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it's a one-way street we're going down. Like th this is where this is where we're headed. I mean, like the thing that I say about giving eyes, but I'll say this on this podcast. It's kind of fun. This concept of being able to have agency in the experience that you are making choices that are changing the experience around you. All this is is me doing my version of what I of a, what will eventually become the holodeck on Star Trek, because that's what inspires me, right? You walk in the holodeck and you create this entire world that feels real, right? But it's your choices that are creating that world. That's what I'm doing with Gameotics. I'm giving agency into the hands of the consumer so that they can have that, that choice. They can have that creative choice of what they want to do. And like, but again, it's being born out of like where the promise of future technology that, that has been that has been going on for, for a couple of generations now about how we can use this to how we can use this to enhance and improve the world. But it's but I think what I've discovered is that it's even deeper than that, right? It's this it's become embedded. And so when you when we have these conversations like, oh, Facebook is bad, oh, Instagram is bad, oh, we're spending too much time online. Yeah, we're still making that, we're still making that choice to. But it's also we're this is the life that we live now. Like the like the like the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak. Yeah. Well, yes, that's definitely true. So uh, let me ask you, David, how do people find you? What do they? Uh, what do you want them to follow? I mean, I find this stuff to be fascinating. I really like bringing this new element into the live entertainment myself personally, because I think it gives it a new uh, a new spark. You know, I've worked on both sides of the creative aisle on the business side yeah. and on the uh on the side of the creative and so to me it's it's going to be a shame if eventually that world goes away if actors are all replaced with deep fake you know mind twins and the stage is taken over by holograms and people live inside of the metaverse i think it'll be quite sad because there's a lot of actors and writers and others that will be out of work that i think the work they bring to the world is very important but i see yeah, what you're I doing more as like kind of I think you're satisfying a need, and I think in actuality, at least at this stage in its development, it helps people, the next generation, stay engaged with live entertainment. I, th I think it's a positive at this point. Thank you. I, I, I agree. I feel like it's servicing the next generation of, of fans who are coming in. I feel like it is, it is providing a new way to look experiential and interactive entertainment in a way that no one has looked at it before. So I'm like, I, I, of course, I think, it's a, I think it's a net positive. I don't think that we're going to see live entertainment ever really go away um I, it's not it's not i mean con, you know concert acts make you know are, are huge like we love going to see rock stars we love going to see concerts we love we love doing this stuff we love seeing things live and in person and that hasn't changed in three thousand years so i'm not i'm not terribly worried about it as a threat on the live space i think that i think it i think it's a new frontier in terms of how to make the entertainment work and no one is thinking about that yet they're just yeah, trying to figure out how to, yeah 
No, I was going to say on the other side of it, too, as far as musicians go and comedians and other live performers, as much as it looks like there's people that would like license their image to just be like doing digital concerts in the metaverse, people don't realize unless they've been up on stage, you know, you need that laughter, you need that applause. That's part of the DNA of those type of people. They can't do anything else other than perform. That's what they love. So it it might sound easy to say, I'm going to license my image for a billion dollars and then go sit at home on the couch and eat potato chips all day while my mind twin does all the work out there but that's not the way that performers operate you know uh, during covid many of them i know personal friends that were like going into deep depression because they couldn't get on stage and tell jokes somewhere look and, and like and like say what you will about tiktok and i have a lot of things to say about tiktok but the thing that i use tiktok for is i follow stand-up comedians I love stand-up comedians, and the, and stand-up comedy has been able to use TikTok in a really great way, where you have all these comedians out there who are able to film, you know, two-minute bits or five-minute, you know, or, or, or a five-minute stand-up bit or something, and put it on, and it's like, and, and the platform of TikTok is, you know, it goes so fast, and your attention span is only three minutes usually at the most, right? And I have found comedians that I will go see in person now because I want to see their whole show. I want mm-hmm. to see the whole set. And so, and I did that in Edinburgh. There's a couple of comedians that I went and saw and people that I had been following on TikTok who happened to be in Edinburgh when I was in Edinburgh in August. And I was like, oh, I am so excited to be able to do this. So again, you know, it, they're able to use it as a marketing platform, but it's not replacing going to see their show. It's simply not. No, so, no, definitely yeah. not, definitely All right, so where, uh, where do you want people to go? Gameionics.com? Gameotics.com and then the20sidedtavern.com um, are the two uh, main websites, two main things that I'm working on right now. Um, and that's where you can go learn about the software and learn what the software can do. There's a lot of places I can do. Obviously, I'm starting live theatrical because that's what I know, but we're going to be branching out fairly soon. I'm, I'm a, about a month away probably from doing a new release of the software. And, you know, this company is eventually going to turn itself into a SaaS company um, uh, so, that I, so that everyone can adopt the technology and use it in their own entertainment fashion. I'm just in the, in the midst of, a, of an upgrade of it to make it um, e- easier for everybody to use. Comic Con Tavern will be in Chicago this fall, um, October 27th to January 15th at the Broadway Playhouse. Um, get tickets to it's not expensive. Um, it's super fun. It's one of the funniest shows you'll probably ever see. And, you know, it's, it's something uh, completely unlike anything out there in the world. All right, David, and I'm going to run the, uh, when we do the final cut, I'm going to run the testimonials from this. Are there any other videos like of uh, the act going on on the stage that you have uh, around somewhere? Yeah, sure. I'll find something. Okay, great. Yeah, send me that, and uh, we'll include it in there as well. I thank you very much, and uh, wish you luck on your journey, <laughs> and see where you go if you can bring this to SAS level. When are you, when are you yeah, looking at for that? Uh, sometime in the next year. It's going to take, oh. take a second. I've got I to gotta build out the first enterprise clients right now and get 20 side tavern up, and then off we go. But I've got, I've got interest, though. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from David Carpenter. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Thank you, David. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion... at pain.tv slash gold.